welcome to Primordial Tao, Present Tao, a podcast about all things Taoism. Our conversations and interviews will discuss ancient and modern Taoist wisdom teachings, spiritual practices, seasonal longevity and healing traditions, relationship guidance, and profound insights on walking an authentic and meaningful path, however you choose to walk it. Welcome home to the Ocean of Tao. Taoism is a mystery that delights in being sought. And it's an ocean to become one with by jumping off of your raft. Welcome to the Primordial Tao, Present Tao podcast. My name is Alex Kruger, and I'm here with Dr. Michael Smith on today's episode, Coming Into Being. This is our first episode. We're very excited. How are you today, Mike? I'm great. How are you, Alex? Doing great, thank you. Well, I've, I've known Mike for Michael Smith here for a while, number of years. We've been friends, and he's been my teacher for about 10, and to give a description about more of who he is. Michael Smith is an internationally respected clinician, author, speaker, and Qigong teacher. Dr. Smith practices functional medicine, acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, and he encourages his patients to follow an ancestral approach to lifestyle and health. He also recommends that everyone with any health challenges meditates regularly and learns a practice like Qigong or yoga. Michael has studied martial arts for over 40 years and has been a formal student of Taoism and Qigong for 35. He's a co-founder of the Academy of Classical Oriental Sciences, the first five-year full-time doctoral program for traditional Chinese medicine in Canada. Michael lives, practices, and teaches in Nelson, BC. He also teaches Qigong online around the world. All right. Thanks, Alex. So uh, I'm going to introduce Alex. I've known him for about 10 years. I've had the honor of teaching him some Qigong and martial arts. So Alex Kruger is an active, passionate practitioner and teacher of Qigong, Taiji Chuan, and Bagua Chang, which are internal martial arts. Aside from practicing Chinese martial arts, he enjoys yoga, hiking, biking, skateboarding, and cooking up delicious and healthy meals. From a young age, Alex has always been in tune with his body in terms of athletic performance and subsequently injury treatment, prevention, and healing. Alex's true passion and current focus is now on helping people to feel amazing in their bodies and to live healthy, happy, and fulfilling lives. Welcome to the first show, Coming Into Being. Before we get into that, maybe we could just talk about what this podcast is going to be about. Uh, Sure, that's actually a good way to start. So when I first got the idea of doing this podcast, uh, I had a lot of different ideas. Um, So mostly what we're going to begin with for the first probably 10 episodes is discussing the history, some of the old stories, some of the new stories about Taoism, uh, some of the most uh, informative and helpful wisdom teachings, the embodiment practices, Uh, We'll get into some of the more unique religious rites and traditions and rituals just to give people a sense of where Taoism kind of lives in that way. 
and also to share some of the guild Taoism or non-religious Taoist practices. And that's mostly what my background comes from, uh, so I'm always excited to share that. Because Taoism is so focused on longevity and health, we're also going to talk a little bit about some seasonal health and healing strategies throughout different episodes on the show. Uh, one of the primary three aspects of Taoist practice you could call in English right relationship. So we're also going to get into some relationship advice and guidance and strategies, which is pretty cool, I think. And uh, we're also going to speak a little bit about what Taoism uh, offers people in terms of a living path to spiritual realization and, and perhaps to remembering who we really are. And that path is something we all walk in our own ways. So Taoism isn't so much an ism as it is kind of a practice and, and a way of learning about life. As we get farther along through the episodes, we're going to bring in other teachers, uh, practitioners, even students, and learn from them about what a Taoist path is really like, even if they're not a Taoist. That sounds really great. I'm definitely excited to learn a lot more about that. Um, why did you call the show Primordial Tao, Present Tao? Well, uh, to be honest, um, there's a unique aspect of Taoism that kind of drives a lot of people a bit crazy. And it's a habit of using what are called double entendres, or a lot of hidden meaning or sort of extra meaning uh, in Taoist terminology. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, Alex, in your reading of, you know, Taoist textbooks and, and ancient writings, but there's always kind of like a code language a little bit. Have you noticed that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've noticed some. <laughs> So I thought in naming the show, I would give the show kind of like a hidden meaning and then maybe another hidden meaning just for fun as kind of an homage to, uh, you know, the way Taoist transmission works. So the term primordial Tao refers to two things. One um, has primarily to do with where Taoism comes from in the sense of culture and history because there is a primordial way that Taoism came into being uh, about 10,000 years ago in Asia. So that was the primordial original Taoism. However, a big aspect of Taoist practice is to touch in with what is primordial to existence, primordial to consciousness. So if you ever play that game, you know, we've all probably played this where you're standing there with your arms out and you fall backwards and someone catches you. Yeah, that's fine. So in Taoist practice, some of the things that we're focusing on is more like falling back into the primordial that must be there for us to be here. So primordial Tao kind of has that, that invitation to where did Taoism come from historically and what ways can we learn to fall back into the primordial of the universe uh, as an experience. So with present Tao, um, there's two things. And again, a little bit of fun with terminology because present Tao invites us to be in this moment, in your body, in this breath, connected to what's actually happening around you. And if you're inside, also connected to what's going on through the world around you because of the season and the weather. And there's also the idea of present Tao in the sense of contemporary practice, because not all of us speak Chinese, not all of us, not all of us want to learn, you know, a lot of that. We just want to practice. So I thought the idea of primordial Tao, present Tao, would kind of like tease people a little bit into being present, but also bring up that inquiry and that question, what does contemporary Taoism look like? And is there some way perhaps that our show and our conversations and the people we interview can help people land in a contemporary present Tao? Cool. How apt. <laughs> and 
Do you have a specific intention or long-term plan for the show? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, my intention is always, I guess, balanced by the people I'm speaking to. And, and when I think of Taoism in the sense of an ism, I'm aware that people can take Taoism as a religion. And or it can become a very personal foundation for their life, even if it doesn't feel like a religion. Uh, some people are very scholarly and they have a very kind of scholarly but rigid view of, of you know, what Taoism is and what some, some things mean. So I'm always wanting to be careful not to uh, step on anyone else's perspective or perception of this. So my first intention is to share my experience uh, as a practitioner, to share my research as a, I guess I would call myself a wannabe scholar. <laughs> Uh, my own personal curiosity after 35 years um, with respect to all aspects of Taoism. And uh, because of my personality and because of the kind of way you and I know each other, I'm hoping we can have those kind of conversations in a fairly objective and playful way. So that's my intention, number one. Share what I've experienced and do it in a fun way and try not to step on anyone's toes because it is not my intention at all to convince anyone else what Taoism is about how to practice it, uh, to see it the same way that I do, or my teachers uh, see things. Um, and honestly, you know, my perspective and my experience of this practice has changed probably every three or four years for the last, you know, couple of decades. So I would actually encourage anyone um, to allow their, their sense of Taoist practice to keep changing or at least not be too, too constrained because as we learn, we change and what we need to learn next might change too. So that, that's a big part of my intention there. Well, that, that all sounds really great to me, and I definitely look forward to seeing the show go in that direction. I guess my next question is just, what is Taoism? Um, that, that's one of the most challenging questions to answer, honestly, because what isn't Taoism? <laughs> uh, you know, if the Tao is all things everywhere, I mean, it's kind of hard to say what isn't. Um, I think the way I would encourage people to relate to Taoism at first would be very experientially. So if we consider Taoism as an ancient mystery tradition, what would it be like to reach into a mystery? Knowing that the mystery is always there, it's always present to you, but as we say in Taoism, uh, you know, the Tao is unknowable, but it's unchanging. So how do you reach into an unknowable mystery that's always present and unchanging? So there's practice, there's meditation, there's philosophy, there's how to make a good meal, but there's a sense of surrounded by, connected to, and presence with the presence of the mystery. Beautiful. Taoism is also, in a, in a more kind of mundane, down-here-on-the-ground sense, um, it's a way of life, and it primarily comes, as I mentioned, from the indigenous people. And the path is about being connected to the perception of being a human being in that ancient sense, and finding the, the meaning of a conscious journey through your life. Because consciousness takes, you know, I wouldn't say effort, um, but it takes efficiency. You know, you have to decide not to be distracted, to be present. And nowadays, that's a bigger ask, you know, in the sense of not being distracted, right? Um, I would also say that Taoism, from a cultural point of view, uh, maybe a social perspective, it, it asks a little bit about the how and why we've lost our innate human experience. 
you know, because it's thousands of years old. And over those thousands of years, uh, from a Taoist perspective, we've lost some things. And in fact, I would say that on a, a, on a bit of an emotional level, Taoism mourns the things we have lost, mostly because of dominion, the domestication of humanity by the powerful. You know, if you've ever read the Tao Te Ching, we talk about how to be a good king and how can you use people as straw dogs and cannon fodder and still be human. You know, that's a big question in, in Taoist literature, right? So Taoism kind of mourns what we've lost because of dominion or domestication of humanity. Losses like um, what it's like to actually feel your inborn authentic self. You know, because I mean, as I say these things, feel into that. Like, do you feel a connection to your authentic sense of self? Or do you feel like it's something you have to get back? Do you have a sense that you've lost a sense of birthright, uh, of belonging to those around you, to the world, to nature? And if you do feel that loss, do you have ways to get it back? We've lost a sense of relationship with the natural world. What things can we bring into our lives that can bring it back? Have we lost our loving and trusting experience of what the universe might be? And if we've lost that innate sense of trust and, and um, kind of family connection with the universe, that's a painful thing to have lost. And how do we get it back? You know, this is really about knowing, you know, what we've lost and how we've lost it as a way to find our way home, right? So when you really understand what went wrong and kind of how things have changed, it gives us a way to kind of find our way back to where we came from. And that's why I refer to Taoism in the indigenous sense, because there's a lot of really lofty ideas, but they're coming from a, a, an experiential bias and an experiential past. I think also, a bit of Taoism has to do with choosing an ethical life based more on nature's wisdom instead of an ethic, ethical life based on rules, right? Because a lot of the rules, if you will, or the ethics of Taoism are based in collaborative and matriarchal cultures. So they're, they're not something that you really see walking down the street in 2020. <laughs> so, so maybe in a more practical sense, at least for the last 10,000 years, Taoism has been mostly a contemplative and meditative tradition. You know, kind of sitting with the as above, so below. You know, what happens at, in the, the bigger aspects of the universe is happening within, in, is happening within a, each of us as we practice. So in that practical sense of meditation and contemplation, uh, we're kind of given a challenge to walk on what I would call two feet, left foot, right foot. One is cultivating an awareness of mind, and one is cultivating an awareness and also a kind of reverence for the health of your body. And the healthier your body is, the healthier a mind is, the more resilient your body is, the more you can go deep into the difficulty of meditation, right? So there's quality of experience and then there's your alignment with your existence and the patience to kind of go deeper and deeper and deeper into practice. And uh, we're going to talk about this tradition in a little bit, but that's all kind of held in a teaching we call Xingming Shuangxu, which is really about walking with your mind and body together like they're two feet. Recently, I would say, and when I say recently, I mean in the last 2,000 years, um, most of Taoist practice has either gone towards monastic, religious um, kind of community practice, 
or uh, for many people it's gone deeper into the practice of reversing this process of separation. And that's a very deeply personal uh, return to perhaps the nature of reality and unity itself. And this process is referred to as Negong or Neidan or inner alchemy. And that typically takes about a year to get the basics, about another year or two to get really going, and then uh, about nine years to really get where you want to go. So that kind of inner cultivation, if you can find a teacher uh, and a process and, and the uh, the inner purpose and patience to, to stick with it, you can literally unravel and reverse the separation between you and the source of you in existence uh, in a very experiential and real way. It's just very hard to talk about because <laughs> at some point there's really no words for stuff like that. I would say for, for some people, Taoism is really about an escape just from mon mundane existence, um, you know, coming back into something meaningful. Uh, for others, it's not really so deep. It's just more about a, a, a conceptual way to ex escape from karmic existence uh, in the sense of reincarnation. You know, not all Taoists believe in reincarnation, but for some people, that's that's their goal. And then here we are in 2020. I think, you know, today there's a, a few million people who practice Taoism as an actual formal religion. Some people, it's a loose philosophy, kind of centered in the Tao Te Ching, which I don't know if you heard this, Alex, but the Tao Te Ching is the second most translated book in the history of humans. I didn't know it was that popular. I mean, I sure love it, but... So yeah, a lot of people have read that book and there's probably some reasons why, right? Uh, today, uh, some people use Taoism as kind of a guiding truth uh, that keeps them dedicated to their personal practice. You know, Qigong, martial arts, meditation, things like that. And I think, and this is a bit poetic, but for some, Taoism, um, Taoism is a mystery that delights in being sought. And it's an ocean to become one with by jumping off of your raft. You know, in the sense of just leaping off of separation to reunion in that way. And there's 10,000 other approaches and experiences that Taoism has, but I think that gives people a sense of kind of where it comes from and uh, what people are up to today. <laughs> that's, that's so beautiful and so meaningful. But then how did Taoism start all these thousands of years ago? Uh, that's also a really good question, and it, it gets really in, into something um, very subtle and, and very powerful, but we're going to have to unravel it over a few shows because you can say it in a sentence, but you kind of have to like deprogram it from people a little bit. So if, if I was to go back to where I, I would say Taoism really became a formal way of experiencing the world, um, take a moment and we're going to use our imagination. And imagine that you're living uh, in a tribal community 10,000 years ago in central kind of northern Asia. So you and I live in Canada. It's about the same latitude in the sense of winter and summer. 10,000 years ago in winter, everyone was going into hibernation mode and trying to conserve food. So we all went into these deeper stoic practices, which still exist today in indigenous uh, communities uh, in Canada, at least in my relatives and community here. So imagine 10,000 years ago, you're going into deep hibernation, you're going into deep, slow breathing, you're changing your metabolism so that you don't require a lot of calories, so that again, more people can live through the hungry time of spring. 
So you have these in your culture. Everyone knows how to breathe, how to be still, how to be patient, how to be focused on the generosity for all instead of the selfish, selfishness and the impatience for just what I want now. Hundreds of generations of people every winter really locked in to stillness and patience. And then about 5,000 years ago, um, well, from about 7,000 to about 5,000 years ago, the people of Asia started getting really, really good at animal husbandry, goats and dogs and pigs, and they got really good at farming. And then they started getting into a kind of farming which we call standing army agriculture. So imagine you're a wandering indigenous person who's used to spending two or three months a year in deep practice, even though it's more like survival. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, all your neighbors start producing standing armies that keep pushing you farther and farther away from where you've lived your whole life so that they can have what they want and own it and control it and kill you if you try and take it back. Now, that's the same history all over the world in the sense of how indigenous people and how industrialized people kind of do their thing. Unfortunately, at this time in Chinese history, a lot of the indigenous people were uh, enslaved or they were wiped out. Um, but I would say Taoism really began as a cultural and spiritual debate between staying as a free-wandering, uh, indigenous, uh, authentic human experience of being, what we call the Chun-Run people, or to kind of buy into being what people call the Chun or the Huaren people or the prosperous people. So we have the Chun-Run, the true human beings, and then we have the Huaren, the prosperous people. And the changes between living a cyclic, rhythmic life and a very uh, dedicated, forceful, controlling, me versus the world life, that's where Taoism started. I am one with all and I will surf chaos and, and opportunity, or I am in control and I will destroy everything that I fear. So if we take a step back and ask ourselves from a point of, say, meditation, ask yourself, to be discerning for a moment. What's the quality of a meditation practice, a lifelong soul um, recovering perhaps meditation practice that's about nature and cycles and what's true to the universe, or a meditation practice that's about getting more, keeping more, uh, doing better than other people and winning some kind of abstract game. So that, that's, in my opinion, my experience, what my teachers have shared with me, the real underpinning of Taoist thought and, and the distinction between modern Taoist practice and ancient and authentic Taoist practice. We'll get into a lot, a lot of that in more episodes, but that, that's sort of an overview. I don't know, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Or? Well, <clears throat> that sounds like a great solution to some really challenging times that people faced. I mean especially like conserving food that way, kind of just like meditating and just reducing your energetic output. That sounds pretty smart. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, maybe that's, and it's a, that's a what if, like what if some of our deeper Taoist uh, energetic practices come from something as obvious and likely and adaptive and still present in the world within the indigenous communities as going into a hibernative place? You know, just from a practical point of view. But again, the cultural tradition of Taoism is more about that argument, live with nature or live against nature. So when we get into written Taoism, 
That started around 2,500 years ago. And when we look at China 2,500 years ago, it was constant war, death, destruction. There was this, uh, I don't know, China's interesting in this way because we have all these little princes and kings with uh, dominion and armies and horses and anything that they want they can just steal. But because China is China, they all had hired scholars, priests, shamans to help guide them to try and live in some way connected to the, I guess, the benevolence of the sky spirits and stuff. So a lot of the writing that was happening around 2,500 years ago, like the Tao Te Ching, were these scholarly commentaries uh, on trying to find a balance between what's best for everyone in the community when the people deciding were the people who actually had standing armies and horses and, <clears throat> you know, kind of medieval warfare, you know, and that's actually what we call the Warring States period. And that's when the Tao Te Ching came into being. You know, and it asked those questions, can you be a good lord or overlord? Uh, how can you return to the origin of human existence when you're fighting against uh, the nature of human existence itself. You know, how do you ask about the origin of consciousness when you're just kind of grinding consciousness out of your own consciousness because of what you're doing to the world around you because you're a king, right? So it's a really, really unique uh, kind of debate and inquiry that, that I've talked about a bit before. And then around 1600 years ago, uh, Taoism started to compete with Buddhism, which had come over uh, from India, mostly for land and for believers. So if you're a Taoist and you want Taoism to become a religion, you have to convince a lord to take you on as your, uh, you become their counselor and then they give you a bunch of money and a bunch of land to build a monastery. So Taoism went from the, what was left of the indigenous spiritual cultivation practices of Asia into an actual step-by-step uh, -step A to Z uh, religion. And for the last you know, 15, 1600 years, that's how most people have learned, which in a way is cool because if you're Luke Skywalker and you want to learn from Yoda, it's nice to have, you know, level one, level two, you know, year one, do this first. And if you're really into it, this is the next thing you're going to need to know. So it gives people a formal process, but that also can also um, make it kind of rigid. So it really depends on, on where you look in, in, in terms of Taoism as a religion. But it did, uh, in the last 1500 years or so, become uh, more or less like a church for some people. Now, there are a lot of religious versions of Taoism in the modern world, but there's also many non-monastic lineages that are about village tradition or a guild tradition, which I'll talk to about a bit later. Um, I've had the good fortune of studying with both monastic Taoist teachers and um, my primary deepest theoretical and practical background is in the guild tradition called Yi Dao Huan Yuan, which means to return to the origin through the practice of medicine. That's how I became a doctor of Chinese medicine, was studying Chinese medicine in a Taoist uh, family lineage. My teacher was a 15th generation recipient, uh, father to son, of both traditional Chinese medicine and the Yi Dao Huan Yuan tradition of Taoism. So when I uh, share what I have to share, um, I'm going to always be grateful for what I've learned and I will always do my best to represent the Huan Yuan understanding and the practices when we get into those kind of details. But uh, I think that kind of covers the evolution of Taoism a bit and where I'm coming from as, as an educator. Wow, that's, that's a lot of background. 
<laughs> well, just to give people a sense of where we're coming from, you know. I like the different approaches that you can take to learning it as well, because everyone has a different learning style. So being able to tailor important lessons like that in a way that's more digestible is hugely important. So this episode's called Coming Into Being. Um, what does that what does that suggest? One of my favorite quotes, um, and this actually comes from, I think, the 1400s in Europe uh, from a man named Meister Eckhart. And his quote is, all beings come into being in a state of being. Now that's in a way probably the most obvious thing that you could say. Obviously all beings come into being in a state of being. But the question Qigong and meditation and Taoist practice asks you is, how are you coming into being right now? Can you feel that? Can you feel why you're coming into being in that way? And probably more importantly, or just as importantly, depending on your day, is are you aware that if all beings come into being in a state of being, it's entirely your freedom, an expression of your autonomy as a human being, in this moment, to choose how you come into being. Your posture, your breath, your what you're doing with your face on the inside and on the outside, uh, whether or not you're holding butterflies in your stomach as you you know try and deliver a podcast, eek, <laughs> or whatever else you may be experiencing. Because the distinction in Taoism is, is very important between your conceptual experience and your somatic uh, aliveness, your energetic experience. So uh, that's what I really want to bring to people's attention. And this is all kind of caught up or, or maybe more precisely held together in a teaching called Xingming Shuangxiu, which we're going to talk about shortly. Beautiful. So. What I thought would be a good idea is for people who've just listened to all of that, you know, who you are, who I am, where Taoism is coming from, you know, maybe where I'm coming from, and a little bit about Taoist history, take a moment and just let all of that kind of like fall out of your head, because <laughs> you can listen to it again, or just settle into your mind about, you know, how those bits of information might be interesting. Because what we're going to do next is drop into the experiential drop into the body, and drop into a bit of an inquiry about this teaching we're going to get into. So let's call this uh, the end of part one. We'll come back in part two. And as soon as you, the listener, are ready to dive into the experiential, just tap the link below and we'll dive right into part two. Before we move on to part two, I would like to borrow your attention for a moment. Taoism is a perception of being, and it is also a personal practice. Traditionally, Taoist practice includes movement, meditation, breathwork, and a tangible reunion with Tao and with many energetic phenomena. That is why I practice and teach Qigong, because I enjoy a tangible way to explore my Taoist journey. After the changes to our culture in 2020, we are all spending more time at home, more time under pressure, more time looking at screens, and more time finding other ways to support our families. Now is a great time to learn Qigong and to stay fit and healthy. And it is an ideal time to train, practice, and become a Qigong teacher. 
If you are interested, the teacher training programs that I offer all begin with a 200-hour program, which can take from one to two years to complete. You can learn more at somadaoqigong.com, S-O-M-A-D-A-O-Q-I-G-O-N-G.com. The link will be in the show notes. In the spirit of patience, let's take a short intermission. When you are ready for part two, tap the link below.